We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. This is Ken and Curtis on WEI. Save us as a favorite on the Odyssey app. And take Boston Sports Original everywhere you go. All right, welcome back in. Brian Barrett, Tyler Devin, for the guys. We're taking you all the way up until 1 o'clock. And you can tune into WEI this Red Sox season as we broadcast live from our Ford Clubhouse Fenway studio before Red Sox weekend home games. That's where we are right now. It's brought to you by your New England Ford dealers and Ford trucks, official truck of the Red Sox. By the way, we just had somebody walk by and ask when Bradfoe was on. You'd think, somebody, you'd think that Bradfoe paid that guy. It was a true unicorn experience, you know, I've never seen Haley's Comet. I've never seen a shooting star. I've now seen a Rob Bradford fan who actually asked if he was here. I don't know if he's like trying to get away from Bradford as far as he can. That's why he's asking us. But no, Rob Bradford's not here. He doesn't live here at Fenway Park. He would love to, I'm sure, but he's not here. He must be a fan of terms like boots on the ground. Your brand has never, never been, been hotter. McFarland. Raw that stirs the drink. Yeah, it's your prerogative be. to be wrong. Yeah, it's your prerogative to be wrong. He Excellent must- column today on WI.com. What's the one? The flip went switch. Yep. Must be a fan of all that. All right. 617-779-7937, the number. So I did want to circle back to what Justin asked us about Bloom being on the hot seat. He is. He should be. I don't believe that it's even close to that point because I believe he's executing what the ownership group wants him to do. The flip now, went switched. <laughs> thanks, Bradfoe. I'm at the point where I was doubting this at the beginning or I was doubting this the past couple of years, but now I'm at the point where the Red Sox ownership group just looks at this team as another part of the portfolio where in 2004, and look, they've done a great job. In 2004, this ownership group was hungry. They wanted to break the curse. They went in 04, they went in 07, they went again in 13. It started to become a storyline around there, but then they win. They win in 18. It feels like now they have the Penguins, okay? They have LeBron as part of this group, and eventually they're going to try to buy, it would seem, the basketball franchise is, that is going to pop up in Las Vegas. They have Liverpool. They have the racing. So I just look at all those things. and you can't, in. Yeah, and you can't tell me. The Globe. There you go. I mean, it, it, it keeps on going. You can't tell me that they're super into where the Red Sox are at in terms of winning. That hunger is not there like it was when they first took over. And another component to that is, so Heim Bloom, what I believe has happened here is Bloom has convinced the Red Sox and the ownership group that he can build a winner that is long-term sustainable, or it's a sustainable winner long-term, without having to go crazy in terms of spending all this money with all these different players. I'm not saying they don't spend, but they don't have to follow that business model. And Bloom said, hey, I can keep this sustainable. We can continue to win. So we don't have 
the first to last situation. So we're just good going forward. That means the park is going to make a ton of money. We're going to get all these sellouts because the team is still going to be good enough. It's not about one year going in and winning a championship. It's just about long-term sustainability. And that's where I feel like the ownership group is at right now. But the problem I would say as it pertains to Bloom, well, this whole idea, Tyler, of not going from first to last, well, they were in second last year. Where are they right now? Uh, you're in last place. You're behind the Baltimore Orioles. A game and a half on uh, July 30th. Who expected that? Nobody. Nobody. But this whole long-term sustainability, did anybody expect this type of slide after last year from this Red Sox team? No, because I think last year was supposed to be the building block, not the peak of what could possibly be the high and bloom era. I want to go back to, I think you, you mentioned like the winning one year, bottoming out the next year is like not what the organization wants to do. It sounds right. like it's, it's the ownership stated goal. It's not really the high and bloom goal, although that's what many people want to say. The 13 Red Sox won the World Series, 97 games, won the World Series. Pedroia was great. John Farrell won in his first year, whatever. The next year, they were terrible. They were 71-91. Awful. That is the highest attended season by fans here at Fenway Park. Obviously, year after the World Series, but they were terrible. They were never even close to being a good team. So I, that, that's why I don't buy that. I think the the model of being uh, a Dave Dombrowski type of builder where you go, you bottom out one year, you recover the next year to be an all-in team. I think I think that's probably more a sustainable way to win titles and as well as sustain the attendance, which I think the Red Sox are like a foolproof system now. They could try it out nine Worcester Red Sox players, which they've been doing for the last month or two at some points, and they're still going to get 35,000 people at the park. I don't think so. If you go to some of those games last weekend, like last Sunday, nobody was in right field. And I get it. It was hot and all I that. Was, I was there. Nobody was in right field. That, that, the park was still was still slammed. And Saturday it, was, not Sunday. But Sunday was uh, was literally the hottest day in, a, in, like a, in, what, so many years? It was 100 degrees, like, without even factoring the humidity. It was so friggin' hot that day. I understand why nobody wanted to go. Like, tickets on sale on the, on the stub hub. Or the the uh, the stub hub. Am I like sixty years old over here? The stub hub. The stub hub. On the, on the, Did you call it up on the internet? Yeah, on the resale ticket market was like seven dollars, eight dollars because the weather was so bad. So that's a one off. I'm not I'm not including that. I think that the the best way to build a team and for them to approach it financially is to go on this bottom out, re- recover, go all in. Uh, Dave Dombrowski method. I don't think it's the high and blue method. Therefore. I don't have faith in Heimblum going forward, and I think that if you miss the playoffs this year and next year, why is he not on the hot seat? Because I think he's doing what ownership wants him to do. I think ownership believes that he's going to build up this unbelievable farm system like they had with Theo Epstein, and then eventually they're going to continue to win at a high level. That's what I think they're going for is they want to still be relevant now, but then they want to just keep like refurbishing the major league system with guys coming up. And I just feel like that's an impossible task to do because you can't win that way. Now that can certainly help. Theo kind of did. Theo did, but he also did it with going out there and getting guys in terms of getting big free agents, getting guys in trades and sort of supplementing that with the minor league system. But nobody's ever going to be Theo. Nobody's ever going to be that good in terms of building up a farm system consistently. Think about all the guys that are Theo guys. We're talking about Bogarts. We're talking about Dustin Pedroia. We're talking about Mookie Betts. We're talking about all these guys that were absolute studs that Theo did. And then he would go over the top rope. So Theo did both things. He built up a sustainable winner in terms of his homegrown talent. And then he would flex the financial muscles that the Red Sox had, and he would go land the guys. He always did that stuff. And it feels like Heimblum, okay, so maybe he's built up the the minor league system We'll see. But how many of those guys, Tyler, actually make it? Like that idea of just winning with homegrown talent, how many of those guys actually make it? 
you have to be the best drafter in the league to do that. To have that model, you need to have a top five drafter and a talent talent evaluator, which nobody, I don't think Bloom would even tell you he's a top five, top ten talent evaluator. At least his track record here in Boston wouldn't tell you that. No, and, and the other thing is this about if you juxtapose, and I feel like Dombrowski got a bad rap at the end. First of all, this whole because the trade deadline because we got well, Ka- we did get Cashner, but was that him or did ownership Muslim from doing something? They were coming off a World Series championship. I don't know. I I don't know. Well, this is what I'd say about Dombrowski. So first of all, this perception that's out there that Dave Dombrowski gutted the farm system, I reject that notion. It's not true. He gutted the crappy players from the yeah. farm system. Okay, he didn't. The highly coveted right. crappy players. And that that is like genius. What he did was genius. He said, "Okay, Michael Kopech, Yoan Moncada." Trading you for Chris Sale. Now, the extension, different conversation. But in terms of getting rid of those two guys and saying, okay, you can't have Rafi and you can't have Benintendi. I'll give you these guys as like the main pieces of that trade. Let's go if you want to do it. If not, we're walking away. We're not giving you Devers. So he identified the right guys. You look at a guy like Craig Kimbrell, who, yes, he was not great in the 18 postseason, but he was one of the best closers in the game for the time that he spent here. Manuel Margot. Not that good of a player, right? So when you add all that up, he was really good at doing that. That's something we still don't know about Bloom. Is he good at identifying the prospects that aren't going to make it? Dombrowski wasn't attached to the prospects to the point where he said, oh my God, I can't believe I'm going to give up this guy. He just knew which guys not to trade, mainly Rafael Devers, Andrew Benintendi at the time, who was a big part, of course, of the 18 run. We don't know that about Bloom. Is Bloom going to be too attached to these prospects? Instead, he's moving on from guys that are Aldo Ramirez, 18th ranked in the organization. I get it. I mean, that was a great trade to get rid of him for Schwarber, but is he going to be willing to identify the prospects in the minor league system that aren't going to make it? Did you see the uh, Alex Spear column? The headline was, how well is Bloom done in trading for prospects and depth players? It was a column recently in the Globe saying they've acquired 21 minor league players over 12 trades. Obviously, we know that they acquire guys like Pavetta, Josh Winkowski, Franchi Cordero, Jeter Downs. Connor Seabold, Connor Wong, and in terms of people who have actually made it to the major league level, that's it. Yeah, well, Ronaldo Hernandez, who knows if he's ever anything, they doubt it. Dale Rosa, like you mentioned earlier, who knows? I mean, he's not an impressive trader so far in his two and a half years here in Boston. I know first year's a COVID year, and he probably wipes it out in his mind, and I'm sure John, John Henry does as well, but has to be included in here because you made transactions. Like, the only good one that everyone talks about is Pavetta, uh, for uh, trading Workman and Hembry away and getting back Pavetta as well as Connor Siebel, which you don't like Siebel, I know that. No, and the other Pavetta's thing, like, a piece, though. Yeah, Moreland, it was worth trading him. You got Hudson Potts and Jason Rosario, but we'll see what those guys are long-term. It's not like they're top-tier prospects, and you got them for, it's worth taking a shot on prospects for Mitch Moreland, but I looked at it last week. I mentioned this on one of the pregame shows last week, and I did the math on it. If you take, in terms of the past years since Bloom made those trades. Now, we're still waiting on De La Rosa. We're really not waiting on anybody in the Mookie Betts trade, right? I mean, I think we can agree that Jeter Downs isn't good. I don't see that guy ever turning into a good player because if he was good, you know what would be happening right now, Tyler? He would have been up once Trevor Story went down. He would have been playing every day. He's up by necessity, not by skill. Yeah, he's going to be down once, I believe, Arroyo, he could get activated today. He's going to be down. Okay, so if you take the trades in terms of how they affected the big league club. Now, like I said, De La Rosa, you're waiting on him in the Benintendi trade. But if you just look at since he traded Mookie and since he traded Benintendi, and you look at the difference, the aggregate in terms of the war, 10.8 wins above replacement the opposite way. Oh. Have gone out the opposite way. So even if you say, okay, well, Verdugo was the plan at left field over Benintendi for the next couple of years. 
okay, well, you still lost that type of player and you didn't get anything back in return over the past couple of years that has helped you at the major league level, right? In terms of actual war right now, Winkowski's a zero. And don't forget about the Hunter Renfro deal. You bought a prospect in Alex Benellis, who who knows if he's going to be anything. Bloom obviously values him. You downgraded your current right field situation. You gave a, a power bat. Uh, Hunter Renfro had 20 home runs. Uh, actually had 20-plus home runs last year. Was a feared hitter. Was hitting home runs in the playoffs. You downgraded going from Renfro to Jackie Bradley. Fine, whatever. You have to, to make that trade work, Benellis has to hit. He has to hit. He has to be something, or else you you actively made your team worse in a year that you were two games away from going to the World Series. For what reason? Well, to strengthen and, the minor leagues. Well, and what's your goal? But so here's the thing: like in a vacuum, I I don't mind that move at all. I actually like it. Right? Wow. Okay, so you, well, you took on more salary for Jackie, okay, and then you got Alex Benellis, who you really like as a prospect. So I like that move in a vacuum. Okay, just that trade in and of itself in a vacuum. What I don't like, Tyler, is that I felt always with that move, there was another move coming in terms of you were actually going to get a real outfield. The bat. Right. So if you want to say the Hunter Renfro trade, I actually like what they did there because they didn't want to sign Renfro long term. So they went and they got a prospect. Like in a lot of ways, that is a big league market move because you took on more salary. But what I thought was going to be the corresponding move and what makes this not a big league move is you didn't replace Renfro in the outfield with somebody that could play every day. You just got Jackie Bradley Jr. And I'm not saying you needed to get somebody in the trade, but you needed to do something after getting rid of Renfro for the 2022 Red Sox. Now, I wonder if if no one even brings this up. The Kike Hernandez injury has like really derailed the outfield oh, yeah. because if he plays center field with, let's say, 60 to 70% of what he was doing in, in October, like that insane run is not who he is. Let's say he's a 280 hitter, 790, 800 OPS, gold glove outfield center fielder. You're not playing Jaron Duran in center anymore. Nope. He's playing in right field, which is a more manageable position for him. And that means you have Jackie Bradley off the bench. Isn't that a much more desirable outfield with Verdugo, with Kike, with Jaron Duran in right field, not in center anymore? I mean, he... Well, Duran can't hit either, though. He had one good stretch. He's just not very good. But neither can Jackie. Jackie can't... No, I agree with you on that. But you still would have needed another guy. But that's that was probably what Heimbloom's plan was. That we Which could is a bad plan, then. You can't bank on Duran. You have to bank on some sort of call-ups because well, well, that's you can't, my go, on, point, you can't go out and just fill the money. Well, see, that's my whole point. I'm fine with doing this thing in terms of rebuilding, but you have to be fair to the 2022 Red Sox. You have to treat this team like they were two wins away from a World Series and go get them a legitimate outfielder to replace Renfro. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. I, I'm yeah. fine with the trade. Yeah. In a vacuum, I like the trade, but you need to address that position, get power, get an outfielder. So, right. so essentially he went with Jackie Bradley and Bobby Dahlbeck as his stop gaps at first base and right field. Yeah, it's a joke, and that's the thing that pisses me off. 617-779-7937, the number. So if you do want to weigh in in this, what do you make of the Heimblum era so far? Will JB, well, excuse me, will Jackie Bradley, not Jackie, he's not getting a move. Will J.D. Martinez get moved at the deadline? 617-779-7937, the number. Brian Barrett, Tyler Devitt, in for Kenny Curtis right here on EI. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, 
You deserve an ice cold reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. This is Ken and Curtis on WEEI. Save us as a favorite on the Odyssey app. And take Boston Sports Original everywhere you go. All right, welcome back in. Brian Barrett, Tyler Devitt taking you up until 1 o'clock. 617-779-7937, the number. If you want to weigh in on the Red Sox and the debacle that has been, I wouldn't even say last night. I mean, last night... It was not a good game, obviously. You went up against a really good pitcher. I mean, the debacle has been a 28-5 to loss. And the fact that this team right now, if you look at where they're at since they went to Toronto when Tanner Hope couldn't go there and Jaron Duran didn't go there, that's when – I'm not blaming it on that. I'm just saying their season has fallen apart since then. They are 8-20 and in their last 28. Can I give you some good news? What's that? Uh, in the 20 seasons from 2002 to 2021, there were three teams that had a 500 or worse record through the first 100 games in a season, and then went on to win the American League or the National League. Braves last year, we know that story, won the World Series. 2014 Kansas City Royals, they won the AL pennant, and the 2007 Rockies won the NL pennant, which that was the year the Red Sox swept them 4-0. 11 other teams in that situation made the postseason. Does that give you any uh, hope for the Red Sox? Three teams won the pennant, 11 went to the postseason out of uh, that 20 seasons where teams go... 500 over the first 100 games the reason it doesn't is just because where this team's at in terms of sale has a mangled finger so he's not pitching nick pavetta i felt like that outing last week was misleading a ton of hard hit balls he cannot put guys away with two strikes for whatever reason yep. walks the ballpark with two strikes and then Avaldi's a problem right now Avaldi's velocity is last four going back to the start prior to the il against the angels in june his velocity is down two miles an hour, and he's been getting absolutely racked his last two outings. He just doesn't have it. So I felt like, okay, reinforcements on the way. Rich Hill's coming back next week. And, I mean, I can't believe I'm saying that. I can't wait for Rich Hill to be back. Like, they need him right now. It just because, should be your fifth starter. Yeah, it just because of all the injuries right now, I just can't see them turning it around. And we don't know what the hell is going on with Story now. Like, this is now a problem where Story's going to see a hand specialist yeah. because they're not so sure what's wrong with it. And it's not like they're going to find a broken bone or anything along those lines. He doesn't have a break, but he's still having pain when he swings. So the guy legitimately can't play right now. And remember, the Red Sox weren't even sure if they were going to put him on the injured list originally. That was right before the All-Star break. They put him on the injured list. They weren't sure they were going to do that. Every time they say that, these guys end up being injured forever. Remember that? Like, remember Waka? Yeah, we, we think he's going to be good for the we'll next start. No, we think he'll be good for the next. No, we'll put him on the IL. It just continues to happen. Like, we didn't think it was going to be a long thing. They say then it's a long thing. Devers is banged up. I just feel like they're in a bad spot from a health perspective. Kike. Kike's on the 60-day. That was supposed to be a quick one, like two, three weeks. He's yeah. going to be on rehab stint and back and pe- in like, two months. 
you made a great point about Kike. Like, he just is so good defensively that even when he's not hitting, he doesn't bring anything. He brings a lot to the table because if you look at him, Kike Hernandez over the past two seasons, still, even despite the injury, he's second in all of baseball in the past two years at center field defensive run saved, and now you're playing one of the worst guys out there. And Kike's always good for these stretches, at least as a member of the Red Sox. He's always been good yeah. for these stretches where he can get red hot because he's a super big launch angle guy, and we saw him in the postseason last year. We saw him in that stretch from June 27th until he got COVID last year when they finally put him back in leadoff. He got hot at that particular point in time. And he's just a professional baseball player, and some of these guys the Red Sox are bringing up aren't. So, I no, I don't have hope that based on those teams in the past, I don't have hope this group can turn around. Like, it'd be one thing. Okay, so say Pavetta looked really good last week. Okay. And say Avaldi has looked good over his last two. Okay. Then I'd say, all right, yeah, mate, yeah, you got a chance. But it just feels like those two guys aren't ready to go right now. So we'll see Pavetta again today. We'll see if he's any better, but I'm not optimistic. You are in the camp that wants to trade uh, J.D. Martinez. How do you trade J.D. Martinez while also not being sellers? Well, I think you would technically kind of be sellers. And you want to be sellers? Well, no, I want I want them. I think you can do two things in terms of you can look at the market and try to get a real first baseman. Or at this point, like it doesn't appear. Um, I talked to Bob Nightingale a couple of weeks ago. He said they, he doesn't think Crone's going to be on the market. OK, I mean, I don't know what the Rockies are doing. It's a weird franchise. But anyway, so let's say you look at Walker in Arizona or you look at Crone. Both those guys have a lot of well, Crone as next year and Walker's got a lot of control. Mm hmm. But now, does it behoove you to make a move like that for a first baseman? I would love to have one, but are you just waiting on Cassis at this point? Since you've already made it this far with the debacle that has been the first base situation, just, do you just say, all right, you know what, screw it. We'll just wait on Cassis, although Cassis has not, I mean, look, I'm not panicking, but he's hitting a buck 76 and striking out 28% of the time since he came back from the injury in Worcester. So he has not been hitting the baseball whatsoever since he got back. But anyway... At this point, you may just want to wait on a first baseman and just say, hey, give Cassis the opportunity when he's ready to go. And I will say this, and I know like, I'm not the biggest fan, but Dahlbeck is starting to hit the ball. And when Devers comes back, obviously he goes back to third. Deadline Dahlbeck. I'm thinking that's what they're going to do. They're just going to tread water with Dahlbeck, see if he gets hot, and then Cassis is going to get an opportunity. He's going to be up. Cassis is going to be up at some point. It just depends on when he gets hot or not. So I think that you, we will look at the Red Sox trading deadline more like sellers than buyers i think they'll make a move to help this team they need to but i do think that jd martinez is going to be moved based on it appears there's a market now the Avaldi thing like he would have been the guy that would have been a very interesting trading candidate because they have not approached him about an extension he wants to be here forever he said yeah the brad foe but it's got to be troubling if you're a contender right now like how do you trade for a guy that obviously was on the injured list and his velocity still down. It's now three consecutive outings where the velocity is way down more than two miles per hour. How do you trade for that guy? Buy low. You bought low in Kyle Schroeder. It worked out. Oh, you're saying for the team that would be interested in Evaldi, I, buy low. I, I think almost Evaldi's struggles might bring more teams into the mix because he has multiple years on his contract, correct? Yeah, but I do think the Red Sox are in a weird place from a leverage perspective where they could say, all right, well, if you're not going to give us something good enough, we'll just keep them. We're not far enough off where we're completely out of this thing, obviously, based on the standings. If you don't give us a good enough return on Avaldi, we'll just keep him. And I think they can play that role with J.D. in some sense as well. So I do think in a weird way, in a bad year, Heimblum does have some opportunities to help the team for both now and the future. Can I ask you a question that I threw on the producer's show that I, I truly don't know the answer to about why Boston sports fans react this way? 
With J.D. Martinez, he's one of the best hitters in all of baseball over the last five years. There's zero emotional attachment to J.D. at all. Yeah, that is true. It's weird. Uh, maybe it's partly nobody because... cares. Nobody claps when he goes at the plate. Nobody cares that he's going to get traded. He is a staple of this lineup, a top five, top ten hitter in the last five years in all of baseball, I would say. And there's just zero support whether he's still here going to the plate in a one-game sample or just his long-term um, stature with the team. Yeah, it's maybe, a little bizarre. Yeah, I guess the two things I would say is maybe the first one is he's not a homegrown guy like uh, Bogarts and Endeavors. So that's part of it. But the other thing is like he doesn't have – like we've loved guys that have come from out of here. Now, Kurt Schilling, obviously, different story now with Kurt Schilling. But when he was here, you think about Pedro coming here. And you think about Ortiz coming. Pablo in. Sandoval. Well, <laughs> that's a different story. But all three of those guys, Pedro, Schilling, and David Ortiz, all three of them have, like, huge personalities. J.D. Martinez doesn't really have a big personality any, whatsoever. Any personality? No, he doesn't. I mean, all he cares about is looking at his video and swinging. I was talking to Chris Cotillo yesterday on the pregame show, and he gave me this great nugget. So he asked J.D. Martinez if he's been, like, checking his phone to see about, like, trade rumors and whatnot. Said, nah, the only time I the only thing I really do on my phone is look at my swing. He's like a, and I actually believe him. He's like an obsessed golfer who just like con like when Rob Manfred was at the winter meetings or when he was trying to fix baseball and like end the walkout, he was like working on a swing outside the meeting room. That is JD Martinez, twenty four hours a day. He's just always nitpicking his swing. And it almost like it feels like it has to come back to haunt him. You can only do so much work in your swing before like you're hurting yourself. It's it's bizarre, but I have no problem if they trade him. I do want to throw one more trade at you. Um, Lou actually tweeted this last night. He thinks he would have no problem with the Red Sox trading uh, Christian Vasquez, and you could acquire a guy like in a separate deal, acquire Sean Murphy from the A's to have a catcher as a long-term answer. He's like a 750, 800 OPS guy. Still has three years of arbitration left, but uh, Christian Vasquez is not a, not a part of your long-term plan, is he? I don't know. Then I guess if, if Lou's idea is that Sean Murphy then becomes the catcher next year. Does that excite you at all? It's just like a one-for-one one replacement, I think. Yeah, I mean, Vasquez is I mean, Vasquez is having a good contract year from an offensive perspective. Like, somebody's going to go after Vasquez. Like, if the, if the Mets cannot land Contreras, Vasquez could be their guy in terms of targeting a guy like Christian Vasquez and getting some value out of him. So, no, I'm, I'm not going to be upset if you move on from Christian Vasquez. Although, right now, Christian Vasquez is like one of the only guys in this lineup that is hitting. But like I said, I mean, I, I don't mind that. I'm not like... They tried to move Vasquez before the season, but they didn't feel like they got enough return in what they were interested in. So I, I wouldn't be shocked at all if they move on from Vasquez at the trading deadline. I mean, that's just where they were at with Vasquez. Or Pulwaki, let's go. Oh, God. <laughs> well, maybe we'll actually see Connor Wong. That's what the people are clamoring for. Yeah, I mean, it, the guy was traded in the Mookie Betts trade, and he's barely played. I, that's that's really just so infuriating to look at what you got. Not the idea. Like, you can get to the point where you understand and you can rationalize why the organization moved on from Mookie. Like, that whole thing he said at the All-Star break was just completely disingenuous from my perspective, where he said, oh, well, I would have signed that three, four, uh, the 12 for 365 would I sign with the Dodgers. It's just not true. I don't know why that's that's like the reaction you have is that's disingenuous. He said the entire time he wanted to break the bank, he wanted to set the market, he wanted to help out his brothers, you know, to achieve a new contract standard of which he did set. So 
aren't couldn't he accomplish all those goals by not moving his life across the country and, and remaining where he was in Boston? If he got the same contract he accepted from Andrew Friedman in the Los Angeles Dodgers, same money, same years, why is that not? But that's believable? not what he wanted. He wanted twelve for four twenty here. He got twelve for three sixty five with the Dodgers. But what? he he's saying if I got the same deal I got from the Dodgers, the twelve for three sixty five, right. I would have signed with the Red Sox. But I don't believe him because he wanted twelve and four twenty here. The Red Sox offered him ten for three hundred. He but wanted a twelve year four hundred and twenty million dollar contract. If you look at the annual average value that Mookie got, it's actually pretty much the same as what the Red Sox were offering him. He wanted more security. He, no, wanted, he wanted two more years. Right, and he wanted out of Boston. I mean, I, I don't understand why he can't just acknowledge that's not, that. That's not factual, though. We don't know that. Look at look at everything that transpired. He goes to... This is what happened, exactly what happened. He was going to go to free agency even with the Dodgers. He was, but what happened was a global pandemic hit. Yep. So Mookie said, all right, they put 12 and 365 in front of him. He signed that. So, okay, maybe this is correct on Mookie's behalf. If the Red Sox didn't trade Mookie prior to a global pandemic... And they put twelve and three sixty five in front of him. Maybe he would have signed that, but he wouldn't have just signed twelve for three sixty five. He wanted twelve for four twenty. He wanted four hundred and twenty million dollars. He wanted more than four hundred million. The Red Sox were not going to go there. So he's saying they never offered me twelve for three sixty five. That's true, but they offered you the same on an annual average basis. And you had said you wanted more than four hundred million. But isn't so this, you wouldn't have signed that in Boston? Isn't this the Rafi Devers problem? He wants a lifelong, make me a, a Boston Red Sox for life type contract, and that is against the philosophical ideology that the Red Sox hold. They they do not want to give out massive contracts. Which, well, they were willing to do it with Mookie and Corey Seager in the offseason, which makes no sense. Like, right? Like they want to give Corey Seager massive money, but they won't do it to Rafael Devers or give or, or give Xander Bogarts a big money short term extension. Like. They're, they're, they're willing to, like, I guess, uh, le- bend their philosophy when, like, a Corey Seager is available, but not Rafi Devers? Yeah. It, I mean, if they don't get that done, I've, I've said it on multiple occasions. If Devers goes somewhere else, I'm done. I won't be a fan of the team anymore. Because- Which is a bold statement by you as someone who hosts, hosts pregame and postgame yeah, shows true. on the Red Sox Network saying, I will resign my fandom of the team, which that tells you the gravity of the situation because you're a lifelong Boston Red Sox fan as are many, and the number one player in the market is Rafi Devers. Well, I just don't understand the point. If you don't sign guys like that, this guy is legit. I like. I could even come to grips. Like We talked about this earlier, the power numbers with Bogarts. Yeah. How do you not sign a guy that's 25? Like That's the type of guy you need to sign long-term. He's a homegrown product. He's one of the best players in the sport. If you're not paying him, what's the point of having a team? That's what I'd say. What's the point of having? This guy is legitimately a top-10 player in the game. Why wouldn't you pay a player like no, that? No, no, he's Matt Olson. He's Matt Olson. Oh, God. What a joke. Let's get to Kevin. He's in New Hampshire. What's up, Kevin? Hey, what's going on, guys? Great show. I was just what's thinking, what, what's, the point of have, what's the point of having a farm system if we're not going to pay these guys, you know, when the time comes due? I think it sets a precedent that, you know, these guys come up with the system, they don't, they don't pay them. And I'm, yeah, I'm that thinking, they're replaceable. why don't they take the – yeah, why don't they take like a like a Bill Belichick approach and pay these guys for what they're worth? Maybe four years, sixty million per year for Devers. Just blow them out of the water for four years. Sixty Maybe in million. Four years, he's not going to be worth top of the market. I mean, just I mean, blow Kevin, them out of the water. What are you they don't talking about? Four hundred million. I mean, I get your point. I, I get your idea, but sixty million dollars. What are you nuts? I mean, I think letting them go is nuts. I think paying them four hundred fifty for ten years is nuts. So why not four for you know two twenty? Yeah, so you want a you want a short term deal, but for massive money, as opposed to the Red Sox, who are also against a long term deal for massive money. 
Exactly. Yeah, like, like a pool I mean, maybe type in, deal. Maybe in five years he's not good. You don't have to pay him as much, and you, you can think, get him for yeah. four years. Do you think it's a chance that he, I don't know at, thir- at thirty years old, Rafi's no longer good? I think he won't be as good as he is now. But I think paying him paying him fifty five, just blow him out of the water for four years. He'll sign that. Four years, worry about it then. I mean, do you realize how big yeah, of a salary I mean, sixty million dollars per year is? I mean, it's just four years. I mean, I think the Sox... The highest-paid guy is years. at $43 million. That's Max Scherzer. The second-highest-paid guy is Trout at $37 million. You're going to give Rafael Devers $60 You'll ruin million? the sport. I think if you're doing it for four years, I think it's... I mean, it's four now, years, you know? How are you we, building the rest of the team with that? I mean, it doesn't have the prospects coming in. I don't know. I mean... What's the point of developing guys like Devers? He's the best prospect you could possibly. Want. I agree with that, Kevin. I agree with your point that, that you want to pay Devers. I mean, I'm just telling you that. I mean, that that, that is a ridiculous contract. Sixty million dollars yeah, per so season. The only guy that may be worth that is Otani. Forty for fourteen. What? Yeah, I mean, I said so is uh, the Juan Soto offer four forty for fourteen. I mean, that just sounds terrible. But so does four for two twenty. But I mean. At least you're so, out in four years, and it's only 220. Kevin, one last question for you, and we'll get you off of here. Well, hey, that's a dumbass contract, too, Kevin, because then you're setting him back in the market when he's still in the prime of his career. I mean, that's a dumb contract. So let, let's give you, let's give him more I mean, realistic that, offer, that, Kevin. Let him Kevin, go and see what it, we're the they're the Red Sox. They can pay. Kevin, would you, like you give? Model or you gotta, would you, Kevin, nobody's paying sorry, sixty million a year. I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. They're paying four forty. So I mean, the total. Oh my god! All right, hey, dude, know, I we, I can't do this. I appreciate the call, Kevin. Would you give Rafi Devers a half of a Juan Soto deal, seven for two twenty? Definitely. <laughs> right now, right now, no, I would. Well, I, I would have already offered him the Machado deal. He wouldn't. He wouldn't accept seven for two twenty. I would offer him Machado ten for three hundred. That's like a legitimate real offer. Okay, if he says no, all right, well, at least we made an attempt to try to get the player Big signed, yeah. and we'll go back and we'll figure things out maybe in the long run. But that that would not be an offer. If that was an offer they made to Devers, nobody in the fan base would be like, oh, my God, yeah, that was a low blow. You disrespected the player. That would be a fair offer for Rafael Devers. But, I mean, come on, what are we talking $60 million per year, and then you're letting him become a free agent when he's 29 years old? I mean, what's the point of that contract? That is dumb. Yeah, if you're giving him $240 million, it's not over four years. It's million. over, like, seven years. So it's $34 million a year. $60 million per year. The only guy that could possibly get that... Otani? Is Otani, because he's a front uh, line, top of the rotation pitcher, and he's one of the best power hitters in the sport. Now, I read that he there's two positions, legitimately. a executive who claimed, I don't know if it was an, ex, an Angels executive or who this was coming from, but an executive said the price tag for Shohei Otani was the top four prospects in yeah. a farm system. That can't be it, right? That that seems way too low. For so Shohei, that would be who? Marcelo uh, Meyer, Tristan Cassis, Nick York. York, and Brian Ayo. I mean, that is a freaking Done. I'll, Do I'll it drive now. I'll I'll drive all four of them. If I have to go to Pawtucket, if I have to go to Portland, if I have to go up to Worcester, or, or if I have to go to the Manchester airport, I'll drive them all to every airport in New England. I'll do I it. I mean, that guy is a freak show. I mean, yeah, I feel like <laughs> you can get Would more. Would you trade all four and, and Rafi Devers for Otani? Top four prospects, Rafi Devers for Otani? No, I probably I wouldn't put Devers in the deal. I'd give up my top four prospects for Otani, though. I mean, come on. That's a frontline rotation guy and... 
one of the best power hitters in the sport. Now, that's Bloom to treat him next year. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> right. If yeah. you get rid of Rafi, then what's the rest of the team look like? You know what I mean? Because you're gutting the farm system, so you have no future. So you have to go for it right now in that hypothetical. Then you got to keep Devers. So you're becoming the uh, the angels of the, yeah, you're basically, of the East Coast. Yeah, you're basically becoming <laughs> the angels. All right, 617-779-7937, the number. Brian Barrett, Tyler Devitt, taking you up until 1 o'clock. Okay, so if you do want to run in the Red Sox, what they're going to do at the trading deadline, that's on the table. We will get into the Patriots as well. And who's calling plays for this team? We'll do that in just a little bit here on EEI. We're right back to it. Ken and Curtis, WEEI. WEEI. All right, Brian Barrett, Tyler Devitt in for Ken and Curtis. So if you do want to wait on the Red Sox, what they're going to do at the trading deadline, you certainly can. 617-779-7937 is the number. But did want to get to the Patriots real briefly here before you take off, Tyler. So the big story, of course, this week, it appears that Matt Patricia is going to be calling the place. This is Big story. Big, big, big story. Yeah. Fourier's all over it. What is his big thing? Like, can he a line thinks, coach be the play caller or something? That's like his big thing, right? Yeah, he's dead set on proving that an O line coach can also not serve as the uh, OC. He had uh, Brian, um, I almost call him Brian Billick. It was Brian Baldinger. He had him on and he let him down the path of saying it couldn't work. And these guys play the game and they say it can't work. So I, I take them at their word. But I just don't think it's as big of a deal that Matt Patricia, that guy in particular, is the uh, OC. Do you find a problem with that? A guy that hasn't really done it at the well, NFL level? I th- in terms of Fourier's thing, I think the fact that Billy Yates is the assistant line coach basically means like fill the gap. Yeah, that Patricia is going to be calling the plays. That's why they name an assistant line coach. But I feel like Patricia is kind of in a no lose situation here. Oh, right? because hundred percent. Think about this. So it's not going to affect like his, and I don't even think the reputation is that great. The defensive reputation, right? I mean, when Brian Flores took over for Patricia, the defense got better. I mean, that happened. It legitimately got better. And the players even said it was an easier defense to play. They played freer. They played faster, et cetera. But if he's on the offensive side of the ball and it actually works, he's going to look like a genius. And if it doesn't work, it's like nobody expected this guy to be good. And he doesn't get any of the blame. If Matt Patricia sucks at that job, is anybody going to blame him? No, he blamed Belichick. No, and Belichick would deserve the blame for it because he's the guy that took somebody that has never called plays, hasn't been on the offensive side of the football in terms of as a position coach or I should say as a coordinator so to speak I know he's a head coach and all that but his offenses were not good in Detroit the guy that he coached there went to Los Angeles won a Super Bowl in his first year with actually a good coach so if he does well great if he does poorly then it's like everybody thought he was gonna suck and and everybody throws the venom at Bill which it's deserving I'm not saying it's not if he sucks and now with Matt Patricia basically as the de facto unofficial offensive coordinator Bill Belichick, which we heard Malcolm Butler say this a couple days ago, he's no longer a defensive coach. He is truly an offensive coach now. So it's like you're trying to force Matt Patricia to, you know, square peg in a round hole while Bill Belichick's also taking his expertise on the defense and moving it to the offense. Aren't you concerned about the defense now that you have more concern? Probably your two best minds on defense are now solely focused on coaching the offense. That is a major concern if you're the Patriots, who, by the way, could not stop the Bills in the playoffs. Yeah, they Breaking didn't punt. News. Breaking news. Games. They didn't punt. Well, here's the question I would ask about the defense, right? We didn't. We had this situation last year. We didn't know who the hell was the coordinator, right? Because it was like, okay, so Steve is calling the plays on defense. 
but he can't run a meeting. So Gerard Mayo is running the meetings. But at the end of the day, it was Bill Belichick's yeah. defense still. <laughs> and after the Cowboys game, when it was the most yards ever given up by a Belichick defense, Belichick started taking over again. Remember the defense got good, and then when it sucked at the end of the season, it's like, oh, no, Bill, Bill, Bill handed the keys over again. So you had issues from a defensive perspective last year, and the secondary got worse, right, in terms of the it corners. Did. I mean, that's right now, Jalen Mills is the number one corner, right? And I thought Jalen Mills actually had a pretty good season for what everybody expected from the guy. I thought he actually played well, but, again, I'm not telling you he's a top-tier corner or anything like that. And then you brought in Malcolm Butler, Terrence Mitchell. Now you get a couple of rookies. We'll see what happens there. But that position is just really bare right now. That's the thing that scares me more so than anything else. Now, the one thing I am optimistic about with that defense, Barmore was really good as a rookie. Judon, who was really good the first 13 weeks, just completely disappeared. He was hurt, I think. Yeah, and he had COVID too for like a week in there. So maybe that's part of the calculus with why he completely tailed off. But I feel really good about the Barmore situation up front. But the back end, it's just a major. Now, you like some of the safeties, obviously. Duggar is an absolute stud. I love Duggar. But anyway, I just feel like. Linebackers. Linebackers is a problem. Now, McGrone, they are, they're really high on McGrone because they said after the draft, remember, they said essentially that the reason they didn't take a linebacker high is because they feel like McGrone is part of this class in terms of. He didn't play at all the redshirt year coming off the injury. Yeah. So that's part of the plan there. But I, I just don't know how anybody can go into the season and not be unbelievably concerned about the corners. That's why, too, when I look at some of the numbers that, like, the stats that come out from training camp, I don't know how I can read into the receivers because look who they're going up against. What are you more worried about, the Red Sox first base position or the Patriots secondary, specifically corners? I would say the Patriots just because now I'm just reserved. Ooh. Well, I'm not worried about it anymore. I know it sucks. Like, and I know it's not going to get better until they bring Cassis up. So there's nothing I can do about that. But right? don't you know Jalen Mills wait- sucks? Terrence no, Mitchell I don't sucks. think Jalen Mills sucks. Terrence Mitchell should not be your Jaylen, corner. Right. Jalen Mills is playing over his head in terms of where he's at in the depth chart. He's a fine player, but he shouldn't be the number one corner, and right? so is Bobby Dahlbeck. My problem is with the Patriots, like you asked me this question, is that I haven't seen the Patriots yet in terms of in an actual game. So that's something that I'm concerned about going forward. With the Red Sox, I know what it is. I know Dahlbeck sucks at first base. I know Franchi sucks at first base. I know that to be true. I've watched it all season long. I haven't seen it with the Patriots yet. I'm more anxious about that because I'm waiting for Sunday, and it's going to be Stephon Diggs, or it's going to be Tyreek Hill, or it's going to be Jalen Waddle, and you're like, okay, uh, this is this is troublesome. Guarded by Malcolm Butler, who is three years, four years, five years past his prime, and Terrence Mitchell, who's a special teamer, and Jack Jones, who is a rookie who didn't really play all that great in college football. It's like, what are we? Marcus Jones, third round pick, who's five nine. Like, your best cornerback is your third cornerback from last season in Jalen Mills. It's a terrible yep. situation. It got worse. It was a bad get situation Jonathan last Jones year. Back so. Does that impress you? Well, he's a good slot corner. I mean, you could use him. Slot's important. Better than having a slot corner. It's definitely important. This is where we're at with this team. We're very concerned about the secondary. All right. Thanks for hanging out, Tyler. I appreciate it. Fun, man. Thank you. Anytime. All right. 617-779-7937, the number. We're taking you up until 1 o'clock. So if you want to hop into the Red Sox, what should they be doing at the trading deadline? That's on the table all day. And the debacle that has been the past month and change, that's on the table. But I do want to continue on the Patriots as well. What do you expect from Matt Patricia calling plays for this team? How concerned is it? We'll get to it next year on EEI. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.